folks, everybody who wants to support, thank you so much for joining us on our first ever episode of the Mad Valid Podcast. And I'm your host, Reina Erika. Welcome so much. Thank you for joining us. So what is the Mad Valid Podcast? You know, it's hard to say in, you know, snippet, but hopefully it will be a place that you can come to, to learn, to chat, to share knowledge, to create a community. Um, And it's a place, I think, for people of color and women um, and, you know, this is our first episode. We're just giving it a shot. I don't know where we're going to go. But I do know that as a theater practitioner, as an artist, as a mother, as a human, as a person out here in New York City in 2021, I wanted to create something for myself and for my friends and for others who I may not have met yet. Um, and I've been thinking about doing this podcast for like over five years now. And we are hoping to weekly bring you topics that are exciting and things to get you and your friends talking and family and hopefully that will help us be better people not just for ourselves but for the world that we live in so i want to thank you for joining us today and without further ado i wanted to jump in uh, to our first episode with my mentor someone that i've known since i was seven years old who has really been guiding me and looking out for me and has set me on this road of also being a mentor to other young women Shout out to my mentees, Sanami on Sing Pang Hoon, and Ashley Thomas. Those are my ladies. Also, I mentor a young man named Stanley Rogers. I met Laura Nuchavaral, our first guest, when I was seven years old in Harlem. And we titled this episode Human because this is when I really feel like, as a young person, I came into my humanity and into my consciousness. And I just think she's fabulous, and I want to share her with the world. I hope that... You can all grow and learn and get some tidbits or at least laugh at this and reflect on your own lives. And welcome to our first episode and let's meet our first guest. Hello and welcome everyone to your first episode of the Mad Ballad Podcast. I'm your host, Reina Erika, coming through and wanting to thank you all for checking out our first episode. Today, we're going to have the fabulous, unbelievable, one in a million, probably more one in a billion, my mentor for life, Laura Nuchal-Varal. Today, we'll be chatting about what it means to just be a human. Um, I have been thinking about doing this podcast for probably over five years now and I finally got some friends together to help assist us out so we could do this so in this first episode before we begin meeting my mentor and someone who I believe has put me on this journey since I was young I wanted to also let you guys know that I don't do this alone I do this with one of my closest friends Brisarieli Munoz who's our producer and our technical engineer and tech everything Ben Weber they're with us every week hopefully you guys will get meet them and get to know them better as we continue. So, first episode, human. What does that even mean? It means a lot of things. We play different roles and put on different hats and being human is what we come out of the womb being. That's our first thing. We are a being. And I wanted to start off with having you all meet the first being in my life outside of my family who has really impacted my work and who I am and who I turn to and trust. Um, And this podcast is really about sharing people 
who are amazing going through this journey. Um, and I thought it was important to start it off with dealing with something that's real for a lot of us, which is fear, right? It has taken me so long to start this podcast because of fear, because of insecurities, because I didn't know what I wanted to do or what I wanted to say or to be clear or if people would care um, and really having to take time to dig deep and think about what does that mean and who am I and why would I be doing this? So without further ado, let's get started. Let's just jump right in. First interview of the Mad Valid podcast with your host, Reina Erika, my first guest ever, Laura Nuchel Varel. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Reina Erika. I am so honored, honored, honored to be your first, um, but we've experienced many firsts together, so this is fitting, and I'm just so excited about this new venture. Thank you so much. I feel like you've always uh, pushed me to find my way artistically, so this is just another way in which I continue to express myself, and I just wanted to share, I wanted to share you with the people. In this podcast, what I want to do is I want to share the gems, the gold, the jewels that I have in my life with others, and you are one of them, and have been with me since I was seven years old. So it's only right, right? The longest standing member of my team. It's only right. So Laura, I wanted to start off our interview reading a poem that you wrote me on June 5th, 2013. Wow, okay. Laura has written me a poem for every occasion that you could think of, that you're celebrating, every graduation, birthday, new year, holiday. Laura has the words, really puts together the words. So I wanted to start with this because I feel like it'd be a great conversation starter. We'll Build from there. I'm going to try to do justice because you're such a poetic woman. And I'm so grateful for this piece. It's called Mastering the Arts. Over many sunrises and sunsets, I have been a humble spect actor of your rites of passage, watching in awe as you honed your craft. From screens to stage, from panels to page, from sunflowers and sweet honey to rainbows of desire, a woman of natural inner and outer beauty, of Juminican wisdom beyond platanos and matzas, mastering the arts of discipline and the discipline of art. Over many high and low tides, you have always taught me and now teach others to make sure our eyes are open wide enough to discover golden truths. From poetry to horoscope, from debating to manifestos hopes, from the theater of the oppressed to studying for regents' tests, a woman of integrity in every molecule of her being, of a creative intellect beyond the anointed text, mastering the arts of teaching and the teaching of art. Over many acts ones and act twos, I count my blessings that you are the brightest of lights. My heart is warmer and thus I am stronger in your glow. From visionings to showcase, from curriculum to brunch places, from a seven-year-old student to a scholar and teacher, a woman of uncommon common core standards, a moral compass, of an artist knowing she must choose to fight for freedom, mastering the arts of activism and the activism of art. Over and over and over again, you have made me so, so very proud. Congratulations on not just this degree of mastery, but on the degree that you master impacting young people, your colleagues and this proud second mother every day in making sure we all have this world a better place. Happy graduation. Love, Laura. Peace. June 5th, 2013. Wow. You know, I, I've loved you that much and many times over for many years, and every word is true. Every single word is true. You, to have been part of your journey 
from that um, little uh, scared girl who cried at not very much. <laughs> Make you cry because you you just you felt everything so powerfully. Everything was just so powerful, and the fact that you allow that natural empathy has grown in such a beautiful way is uh, I'm just I'm just so fortunate to have been in your circle of life. Laura, why don't you tell us? Because I think that we both have our own versions of how we met, right? Many, many years ago. So when you met me at seven, tell me about that day. How was I? How do you remember that? Day, that little girl with the big glasses. Yes, I think I had big red glasses at the time. Big glasses, I remember. And and you just had this like little forlorn look at your face. And uh, we were we were I was with. We were at the Parent Help Center, which is a pro was a program of Relief Centers at the time, which is now the Harlem Children's Zone. And you were in right. second grade, I believe. Yes. And um, we were doing different projects. Uh, you know, brought we brought the the power and the magic of media into the classroom to get kids excited about learning. Mm -hmm. And you you took to it right away. But there was there was like there was a boldness in the shyness. There was there was a fierceness in the tears. I mean, there was something about you that was just so uh, magical. I just felt it right away, like we were kindred spirits, like from the first time I met you. Yes, from the off the jump, Laura, right away at the beginning, right? And like, so, I mean, that's how we met. Do you remember how we spoke, what you were there for that day, what we were yeah. doing? I, I'm trying to remember because I do get it confused in terms of the different projects, like, you know, when... When we met Tatanisha, we were doing the news, the yeah. news project. I think we were doing like we were doing like poetry. I believe yeah. we were doing poetry. I, I remember it was 1992, and Bill Clinton was running for president. That's right. And you were in our classrooms. That's right. Bill Clinton was running for president, and um, you know we were talking about why that was important. You know why it didn't matter. Voting matters, and you know what still you know, does. Yeah, how we wanted to make a better world. And, you know, you were, you were like, you know, your ears perked up, your eyes opened and it's like, you know, it kind of touched something in you, you know, that, that, you know, and then I think that it's like, you were shy to talk, but I, I said something like, your voice matters. I want to hear, I want to hear what you have to say, Raina, because I know your brain is like, you know, the wheels are turning and, um, and you did, and you did. That's and it's been stopped since. <laughs> so Laura, I mean, there's so much to be said about our journey together and meeting and getting to know each other. But what I remember about that first time was you asking me, actually telling me that my voice was important, that my voice was special. And I don't remember feeling that way, thinking that, knowing that that was something um, and finding it to be really impactful. And I feel like that, that it was there that I got my voice, right? That I knew that I could use it and that apparently people wanted to hear it. <laughs> they wanted to hear it. and sometimes they maybe they heard it too much and they said you know they have to tell me everything you know one day at a time one moment at a time you don't have to do everything all at once so, so laura are you saying that i was also super annoying to my peers growing up i think they had to they, they had to learn how to work at your pace they had to learn to which they hadn't yet had the had the integrity and the, the purpose and vision that you had like you were very you were always on a mission so it took a little while though because like when I between seven and nine I was not allowed to work with Laura right? right because I was young I was in school but apparently I continued to not show up to school on time be absent 
and I was chosen <laughs> to be part of the Reland Youth Council so that I could be, you know, I guess reinvigorated, reintegrated, pushed back into school and academia, if you will. Is that how you remember it? Yeah, so the Reland Youth Council were all these um, elementary age students who were then, who would come to our um, Rise and Shine headquarters in the middle of Times Square and be mentored by the high school students in creating their own videos. And so Raina was really at the cutting edge of that whole youth-produced media world at a very, oh, she was in elementary school in, in, in working on these things. And she would, you know, you know, she would tell these high school kids what to do. You know, I mean, and then, then her older sister, uh, Sylvia, joined later, and then right. Sylvia was like being bossed around as well. So. I mean, I did put her on. It wasn't, yeah. you know, I tried to put everybody that I knew onto Rise and Shine. Laura, can we give the people just a little history about Rise and Shine, sure, HCZ, sure. so that they understand our, in our world, let's create this vision. Yeah, so Rise and Shine was formed back in uh, 19, oh gosh, like 1984, 85, way back then. Um, there was a dropout prevention program um, that was, you know, asked for calls for proposals. And I thought, well, one of the reasons why I was bored in school is because, you know, it was just regular everything to do. Maybe if kids had a reason to come to school and projects they want to work, want to work on, we could, we could kind of address this, this issue of, of kids, uh, you know, not, not, you know, not coming to school, being truant, whatever. Well, why did but, you start Rise and Shine Productions? Why did I start Rise and Shine Productions? Well, first I started with the Poetry Video Learning Project. And poetry really saved my life. I mean, it really was, um, you know, I was a kid who um, had, you know, product of divorce, product of a, of a, of a abusive step, two different abusive stepfathers. And in those different um, reincarnations, poetry was really the key to really helping me kind of feel who I was in the midst of all that. And uh, I had a fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Arkelevich, who said, uh, Laura is a a poet who is mighty fair with her beautiful long blonde hair or something like that and it's like it's like it gave me an identity of being a poet and and just knowing that really gave me the strength to be able to kind of process my feelings and um and i, I really think it did save my life so when um we did this dropout prevention program i thought okay let's let's make sure that young people have the opportunity to find their voice to have, be able to express their feelings in a safe way and then collaborate with each other because this was just after MTV started and the music videos were just, you know, coming on the air. Like, why yeah. don't we then? Why don't we then put instead of making music videos, make poetry videos? And uh, the attendance was dramatically improved. Um, we had the first videos we did were uh, won a Sony Visions of U.S. prize, and we were on we were on uh, Channel 13. Um, one of our pieces was shown. And so that helped me be able to go from one school dropout prevention program to four dropout prevention programs within a year. And where I met Raina was a dropout prevention program. So um, that was in the second expansion. So that's kind of how it all started. Okay, so you're doing this, we're at the school, we're giving the people, right? How was New York City at the time, Laura? What was our location of our program? Like, what was your vision? What were you thinking of the time, right? Because, I mean, you're a white woman coming to Harlem to do a poetry and theater with black and, children. Which was great. I mean, I mean, Harlem was a really, it was, it was just, you know, it was after the crack, 
crack epidemic. Um, you know, it doesn't like Harlem today. The gentrification hadn't really started yet. There were a lot of empty, abandoned lots. Um, and the school that we were on was on um, 117th Street, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, right between uh, Lenox and um, and Fifth, and right near the the projects where Raina lived. Yes, 40 and West, 115th Street. 115th Street, yep. Revan. That's right. <laughs> and you know, for me, that's where I wanted to work. Whether it was Harlem, whether it was Bed Stuy, you know, where I really wanted to work in communities where I felt that students were not really being given the opportunity to, to explore the arts, or the opportunity to really, you know, discover their creativity and find their power to be able to um, use that to um, develop in them however they wanted to develop, you know, that other kids in upper middle class homes get like, like it's, it's just assumed that they're going to get those exposures and get, get those things. So that's really where I wanted to work. And so I was very glad to and I just walk with purpose. I mean, that's that's really, you know, one day at a time. It was walking with purpose. Um, I was on a mission. Um, and, pe- and, you know, and it served me well. I mean, it, you know, I, I people could tell when you're genuine or not. People could I tell, agree. You know, and, and, and that's and that's all, you know, it, it, it was it was about children, about these beautiful children who had so much on their minds, so much in their hearts, so much to say. And I just wanted to be, you know, help them you know, really develop that for themselves. Do, do you think you did this because when you were young, poetry saved your life and you wanted to give young people that same kind of opportunity? I mean, po- I would say the arts are still saving my life, right? And I push so hard to try to show and tell people, like, we can do arts. Like, you don't have to do anything else. If that's what you're good at, if that's what you want to do. This is what shaped me. And it was is, and the power that art had in my life not just in the expression of my own internal, but what it what it did in terms of the impact on other people and the power that art has to for change, for social change. And being involved as an activist, as an artist, you know, it, it, arc, activist is really, uh, you know. I love that. Activist? So <laughs> are there, ar- there architects of art? Yeah, which is really what I... Archivist, you know, and by, by actually making something, something that's concrete in this world, that is abstract and is concrete. You know, it's, it's just all these abstract feelings that you cannot really define. They mean different things to different people. But then it's those concrete things, each one day at a time things that you do to be able to make a difference in the world. So it's not just something that you're not, not a, just a, a bystander critiquing what's going on. You're actually doing something with it and your words matter to, to other people and can move other people and can challenge other people, provoke them to action. And that's, you know, we see that. We see that, you know, anytime we go to a demonstration, you see those banners, you see people dressing up in different ways, you hear the songs and the chanting, and that makes you feel like you're not alone, that you have the power to actually make change. And that's really important. Is that the artist's job? Is the artist an activist by making art? Or is that something that happens I later? It's one of the jobs. You know, I think, I think you know, I would not want to say that if, if an artist kind of feels that they don't want to be political, they want to make beautiful sunsets, you know, or, or, or just do a dance that's, that shows the body and the ability of the body to move in rhythm in different ways. Uh, but to me, it still is a political act. That's how I'm receiving it. 
Yeah, I mean, for many people, moving your body is an act of rebellion, right? We don't know where people stand when they make their art, and just because it doesn't feel like it's activist to you, maybe that's not the way in which you exercise that. But exactly. that could be liberation for others. I don't know if you ever heard of Umberto Eco. Umberto Eco, he, he actually is known best for writing the name of the rose. He's an Italian philosopher as well. And he wrote, he wrote about art being an open work. And that whatever the artist does, it's not done just because you say, okay, I finished, this is the last brush on the painting, or this is the last piece of music. It has to be interpreted by the audience. And so it's, a, it's, an, open, it's an open work. And I feel like, you know, I feel like that that's what I, I, I feel about art. And that's why it could mean so many things to so many other people. And that's why I feel about teaching, too, by the way. I mean, I, I feel like it's, a, it's an open process that you can make the best lesson plan ever, but it's what the young people or whoever you're teaching is going to give back to you that's going to make yeah. it the learning experience. So Right. It's everybody's responsibility to take yeah. on that material and what comes from it. It's not just what you've made. Absolutely, Laura. And yeah. I feel like you've really embodied this in your work and in your career. I mean, you've been working with young people and really multi-generational people for my entire lifetime. You know, over 35 years of giving back to the community, of putting people first. Like, how do you do that? How do you do that and not give up hope? How do you do that? And then continue, right? Because you've retired from the Harlem Children's Zone. You are right. not in that realm anymore in, that, in the ways that you were being, you know, the head of education. I miss it. I miss it. I miss it. You know, I, 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 I've been doing some, you know, Zoom professional development with staff. And thankfully, they're all very young. So I could get a little, a little sense of, you know, being with young people. But I, I really, I mean, it's, it filled my soul. And I learned from them, just like I learned from my own kids. Like, that, we were my best teachers. I mean, I would say yeah. my best teachers are, you know, Samira Marissa, my own kids, and, and you, and all the other young people. That's how I've, I've been blessed to keep, you know, to keep learning. I mean, you know, the world is ever-changing, you know, and, and if you're not, um, you know, you need to surround yourself with people who are going to challenge you and, and the way you may look at the world. I mean, it's not just you as an older person imparting whatever wisdom you have. It's also, it's also really making sure that you, that you re-examine, you know, you re-examine. But Laura, we're in like these really tough times, right? We're like uh, losing hope feels like, I mean, like what hope could we really have, right? If we feel like we're still battling the same battles of 1965, 1865, 70, you know what I'm saying? Like if you think back 1609, like it just feels like it's on repeat. And while we do make progress, because I know you and I get into discussion, right? We do make progress. It's not that we don't. Progress is made, right? Because we're here today. A lot of things have happened, right? This what even we're doing now was not possible for other people. But like, how do we not lose hope? How do we continue to fight and, you know, believe One that we can time, make a change? One day at a time. One day at a time. You fight. You fight one moment at a time and you celebrate the moment that you actually have, able to have a victory. I don't care what it is. Like the other day, I was ordering Chinese food with my niece and I had to say my credit card. I said, oh my God, I said my credit card without gasping, with being able to breathe with, with a full voice. I said, ah, that was great. And I celebrated being able to say my credit card number. And I think that, that you know, from having COVID, you know, and it was so hard. I had to order everything because so I was just by myself in quarantine, right? And nobody, so, and that was so hard. And this now was like, oh my God, 
My breath has come back. My breath has come back. I'm stronger. I'm recovering. We could do this. We could do this. You know, and I just, that's how I feel about, about, you know, whether it's biological or whether it's like when you're cooking something, you don't have the right ingredients or, you know, or whatever it is, you just kind of celebrate with, oh my God, I, I solved that problem. It actually tastes better than what I originally thought, you know, <laughs> just, I think it's in your moment to moment life as well as in the bigger issues in terms of, you know, we're looking at like, oh my God, you know, all this remote learning, it's, it's a real challenge. And I really, it's, a, it's to me, you know, is it going to, how, I think in many ways, it's a year lost for so many kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because they're doing the bare minimum because they're not, people, the teachers don't know how to use Zoom in a way to really engage these kids. And they're in their, you know, they have their other devices that they're doing on the same time that they're, you know, they're not really not into the classes. I mean, also your home, it's like the whole exactly. thing is different, right? And like the way you behave at home and at school is different and who knows how everyone's environment. I mean, this whole Zoom is new for everybody, right? Even in the way that we're interacting with at work and with friends and with family and trying to connect when we are separated. And then we know all the inequities. We know that you, know, yeah. you don't have broadband. You, don't have, you, you can't even if you have a computer, you don't, can't get on it. I mean, the politics are in everything on every yeah. little moment. So you, you could get overwhelmed by that, or you could say, wait a second, what am I going to do to get broadband in this community? And, 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 and make that, and do that, do that, do that struggle so that you could, you could actually do something that's winnable. So you're okay. setting smart goals still is what I'm you're saying. Setting smart, well, yeah, the smart goals that, that <laughs> I created with academic case management is, you know, comes from, I think, lessons of life. You yeah. know, lessons, I mean, it's just common sense of things that you can, that you, that cause, because if you get caught up on, you know, the big issues, the racism, you know, the, the sexism, you know, the homophobia, the xenophobia, if you get caught up in those things, you know, you could feel like no, there's been no progress, but in fact, there has been a lot of progress. And and the reason why... But not enough. Sorry. Not enough, of course, not enough. But the reason why those incremental steps have happened is because of the focus on specific things. Yes. So All two things I'm hearing here is like, uh, uh, make a goal that's actually attainable, something you can actually do, something small, doesn't have to be big. If you're on the prize. Yes. That's still working towards the goal. And then small celebrations, which I think that... It's so important, Laura, because like, and this is why I wanted to read this poem, right? Like you have made every accomplishment that I've had a celebration, right? A moment to be excited for, a moment that we're encapsulating, that we're saying, look at this moment, look at what we've accomplished in this time. And in this Mastering of the Arts poem, you really try to capture everything that I've done in my life together, right? All the projects that we've worked on, all the poetry, all the auditions, all the reading, all the writing, all the work that it takes to help a young woman grow, right, and to become the potential that we've seen in them since they were a young person. And I really want to thank you for writing me these poems, for being there with me. Like, I remember when my friends started having sex and how you called my mom and reeled my ass back in, and that summer I did not lose my virginity. I remember... A lot of other people did. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people did, but I did not because Laura had me in these clutches. So, like, things, moments (laughs) like this that pop in my life, like reading the Tao of Pooh at a very young age, feeling like, wow, I don't understand what's happening here. How do we break this down together? And then making it digestible so that I, too, could create poetry in this way. Uh, realizing that I wanted to perform and then helping me pick out, you know, Shakespeare sonnets, pieces and other artwork, finding African-American artists who were writing plays that I could play those parts so that I also felt like I had a home, right? Because I'm auditioning in a lot of white spaces 
And we were fully aware of that. And we wanted to make sure that I felt represented and seen. So I remember these moments that we were super intentional, even when I started doing theater with Hotworks, right? Knowing that you had been my mentor for so many years, that you were the strong woman and that you were like, now you can work with a strong black man and get those skills. Like a lot of things that you did to prepare me in this way and continue to celebrate the little moments. Even getting me my Bloomberg apprenticeship when I graduated from early college, like setting me up for success along the way. And I just... And you see every single moment. If, you know, I mean, you know, I work with a lot of young people throughout the years. And, 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 and there's, there's certain, I could, I could, you know, I could name all the ones that were, you know, that had that, that kind of hunger or that kind of desire. But there was no one like you in terms of see, seizing those moments. Cotty Magasso, she comes out a close second. Oh, <laughs> yes, Cotty. <laughs> <laughs> she does. She really does, and she's still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, you know, but you seized every moment because there was like, you know, you just had this voracious appetite to to um, to learn, to grow, to make a difference in the world, to be a good person. I mean, all the things that you just the buttons that were sewed on you for, you know. Before I came along, I mean, this is something that was, you know, in your in your being, and that's what I recognized. And I recognized that light from the very beginning. And I said, "Oh my God, I got to be around that light," you know, because it fueled me as well. And uh, you know, not everybody takes full advantage of those things. So then, and then, and when they do, people give more. Yeah, you know, people. Give I think it's scary them. though. Sometimes, you know, like um, I remember. Obviously, as you said earlier, like I was a crybaby and I felt like a lot of times I cried because I felt like uh, people were trying to dim my light. And I didn't know that at the time. Right. But it hurt. And I just felt like I was too loud. Um, my personality was too big. I was too demanding. I was asking for too much. I was doing too much. Right. And it was like, how do we allow young women to really do that? And you gave me a space to turn off that noise and to accept that I was a crybaby, right? And it took me years to accept that I was crying, that that's how I felt. And I feel like I've gone in this cycle of like, I'm a crybaby, I don't wanna cry, but it's okay to cry. Okay, I'm crying. Okay, I'm a crybaby, I own it. You know, and now I own that I'm a crybaby, it's okay. But it took many years of mentorship and having some another voice in my head that wasn't my peers, because my peers were the ones trying to tell me that I was too much. Right. It wasn't the adults in my life. It was my friends. It was people that I love, people that I that you think want the best for you. But they got that from society, right? They got that because the norm is that crying is weakness. Yes, and it doesn't have to be weakness. And that, that women shouldn't be loud. That women shouldn't be sassy. That women shouldn't say how they feel. Especially when you're a woman of color. Yes. I mean that 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 even goes even more. So yes, yes, I think about that a lot with my son. You know, like I don't try to shush him, and I, you know, one thing that I always pay attention to now is always like um. With Ezzy, people are always like, are you going to tell him to do this? And I'm like, I'm, I don't, unless he's in danger, I don't think I need to tell him to do anything because that's how he's going to learn, by exploring. And, like, I don't want to control him. And I feel like there's this constant need to control and civilize, if you will, in quotations. Like, young children, it's like, for who? For what? That's so interesting because that goes against your initial, your your instinctual thing because your instinctual thing is to control yes 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 (laughs) but i think in in my own experience right i feel like my my, i as reina like to like have things in control know what's going to happen put things in boxes get them together right for me but for other people i don't i don't see that that works right and i can accept that i'm like that that doesn't work for others and i think that's because 
you, because you have experienced that freedom. You have been able to explore, and so you value that. So you're able to put yourself in the back seat and be able to allow the other people to discover things themselves. So that's beautiful. That's beautiful that you were able to do that. You're able to do that. Really Laura, I learned that through our mentorship, and I really wanted I wanted to start my show with us, right? Because I really am doing this for myself and for other women, right? Like I feel like it's really always been our time. And how do we mentor other women? How do we give to other women without being afraid? of anything, right? Because like another woman shining doesn't take away from your shine. No one's light can take away from another. We're just a bunch of fireflies up there together, lighting even brighter, right? And how do we really do that? How do we create that, Laura? How do you think that you've been able to do that for so many young people? How do we continue to pass on this legacy to other women? Like we already have that we need to celebrate, right? That we need to try to make things manageable, but how do we really push this forward? We need to celebrate and we need to collaborate. You need to collaborate. You know, you, 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 if you have other women and, and you get, you know, you get yours together and envision together and come up and know, know each other's strengths, know what you bring to the table and be able to create work and you form these communities of, 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 of you know, brilliant and you do things with it. So whether it's you're putting on a play, whether it's you're creating some kind of a fundraising event whether it's some kind of community action problem, some, some kind of protest that you want to organize, whether it's, um, you know, doing something in the school for, for the, you know, your, for the preschool that you're working with, whatever it is, that you, you find ways, um, whether it's with, uh, you know, Zooming or workplacing or FaceTiming or whatever, <laughs> you know, you find ways to, to build community and to, not just to yakety yak, but to actually do something uh, that you envision and that you think can make a difference in the world that will then educate other young women and, and, and young men too. Yes, that's another thing, right, Laura? Because it's like, it's not like I'm not saying that we, I was something I want to say, like, obviously I'm raising a young man, right? But I, for me, it's super important, like, for him to understand and view women doing things, right? To see women in the same way that he sees men so he could then call out those ways in which they're not allowing us to be on an equal playing field. And that's why my focus is on women. I feel like men already have a little bit of a leg up by being men. They see each other in spaces. They turn to each other. They give to each other. And I want to find a way that we can give to each other and level the playing field. Yes. And he could grow into a man that could, that could actually have the strength to be with a strong woman. Exactly. Laura, you know I want him to be with a strong woman, right? And be a strong ally to women and really believe in feminism for the truth that it is. You know, I feel like there's a lot of things keeping women apart. And I'm trying to bring women together. I'm trying to bring women together. Right on. We all come from women. Yeah. And, and you really need to... Like I said, it's like it's it's one act at a time, one moment at a time, one day at a time. Like each one of those things matter. I mean, you know, when you're saying Black Lives Matter, yes, it's it you know it's it's so complex because it's it's like it's it's a declaration and it's also an accusation. It's all the it's all these different things, you know, and and. You have to take that same kind of power about your moments as well. You know, like for me, like being well, the hardest thing of having COVID was not not so much the physical stuff because you know I beat cancer. I, I you know I, I I know I know a lot of it is 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 spirit. I know a lot of it is the spirit and your will to survive, and I'm able to summon that. But I think being completely by myself, mm -hmm. and the only thing I, I couldn't read, I couldn't really write. 
obviously couldn't say my credit card number. <laughs> you know, all, all these things that, 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 you know, that drive you and, and, you know, the energy that you could get from other people. I, ha I had to, I had to celebrate the little momentary things. Mm -hmm. And and by doing that, I got stronger and stronger each day. And I, you know, and there's this, there's a real temptation to be blue. It's really a temptation to be sad um, and to kind of give in. Yeah. To the situation, and and so I think that's the thing that we, you know, that hurt that I know is so hard for people who are struggling during these times, because if they don't have if they haven't created the muscles to be able to deal with that. Yeah. That, that How do we create those muscles, though, Laura? Like, you know, I feel like as an adult, like a lot of the ways in which I cope and deal with things is just remembering the strength of my youth. Like, I look back at my journal, things that I've written, things that you've written for me, things that people have done, you know, and that reminds me of how powerful I've always been, right? And how getting older for me sometimes feels like I am separating or I'm getting away from my diamond. I'm getting away well, from the You're doing one thing that's really important. I mean, you're, you're passing it on. You're passing the torch. You're teaching other young people to, to discover those things. And I mean, that, that, that heals you as you yes. do that for them. And I think that's really important is we find those avenues and find those ways. And be, like I was having a conversation with someone the other day and, and she's so, she's like, so feel like, oh, I didn't, I, I had different ambitions. I am not where I thought I was going to be and all that kind of stuff. And so we, we spent like two hours talking about ways of which she could serve. Yeah. Ways in which she could create. That aren't those big ideas of Hollywood. They're not those big ideas of you know what you thought your you, you thought your the Academy Award that you were going to get or whatever, but the smaller ways that you could actually make a difference and and have have the opportunities to feel satisfied with the work that you do, and then you spread that, and then you you know and you politicize it in the moment. That's a I, mean, I do feel like you know politics is head and heart, right? It's head and heart. I mean, people, some people get political because, you know, they've studied all this stuff and they've, you know, watched all these documentaries or whatever they've been, you know, but if you don't have the heart to it, I don't think that could be sustained. And then you're just sitting on, you're just a critic on the sideline. Yeah. You know? So, you know. Also, it, you're like not connecting to the people that you're making policies for doing anything. So like you're missing the experiential part of it, right? The real living right. experience of it. And then you can't see the small changes that happen because the big changes are in front of you because they haven't yet they have yet to happen they know? take time you know i mean we just we, you know we, the, you know it's, i don't know how many more generations it's going to take but um i do know that as long as we keep I, I i'm inspired by the young people i'm inspired by a show of black lives matter or marching for our lives about gun control or the you know the greta whatever her last name is for the um environmental that's right greta out here yeah. You know, like that's what inspires me. Yeah, it makes me feel that I have a lot of hope. You know, I have a lot of hope for you know the next generation that's going to come up. And you know, I mean, we got rid of some evilness for a while, but the evilness isn't going to go away. We know that. We we're now in full view. It's now we can't we can't kid ourselves about about you know the the. I can't, I can't even find the word for it. Um, for for that ex that's existed that you know about. Um, you know, a third or whatever percentage of the country is about. It's just, it's just so insidiously evil. And now we know. We can't, we can't, we can't say, oh, you know, I mean, the, we can't just say, you know, we shall overcome without understanding that we have to more than overcome. We've got yeah. to, we, you know, and, and, and we just, and we've got to do it not by necessarily trying to change their mind. We've got to do it by making sure that we're stronger 
that we that 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 we are in the fight, um, really with the, with the right tools, with the right ways to really uh, to really make a difference, and um, and and be respectful of each other. You know, some people want to go faster than other people. You know, I was writing about my China um, experience, and I was writing about walking on the Great Wall, and the biggest debate was that. You know, the younger people wanted to walk faster, and the older people wanted to walk slower. It wasn't just, and part of it was physical, but part of it was how they experienced it. You know, the older people really wanted to take their time, really look at the view, really, you know, really think about what they're feeling. When these young people were like, okay, you know. The view's at the top. <laughs> let's get there already. Come on. <laughs> you yeah. know, so, so it's, you know, and that, that's, a, that's a very honest struggle to have. That contradiction is always going to be there, but you've got to be able to be mindful of why that is. And young and young people have to learn from from the elders, and the elders have to learn from the young people. And I think if you know, I think if we can have that happen, then we'll move forward. So what's one next for you? Time, one day at a time, one month at a time, we'll move forward. So what's next for you, right? We you've done thirty five years of media literacy, arts, academic, giving back, and now it's supposed to be like your time, right, to do. I'm writing Something my for memoir. you. So you writing oh, your memoir? Being a grandmother is very important to me. <laughs> I mean, I have Stella, who's four, and Luna, who's like a year and a half. And I, because of this damn pandemic, I don't get to spend a lot of time with them. I do FaceTime with them, and I could do art projects with them via FaceTime, which is fun. Um, and you know that that is really a joy for me. So I'm hoping to have be able to have more time with that. I'm writing my memoir. And I formed my own, um, you know, LLC, Listening and Visioning. Listening and Visioning. Listening and Visioning. And I work with small uh, organizations. Great. Laura, I'm sorry, I just got my ding. So that means that whenever I get the ding from Brisa, that means I must ask you our essential question of our podcast. And it is, what's a lesson that you've had to learn many times over and over again before you got it? Listening, listening. The importance of listening. Um, I think that's you know we, there's a danger of assuming, mm. and really, really actively listening and really understanding what's behind the words that are being said. Yeah. Um, I think that that's something I've had to learn over and over again, um, and in my personal life, in my professional life. I think even now that I'm, I'm listening to my younger self as I'm writing this book mm -hmm. and things that I didn't understand at the time. Right. And nobody was listening to when I was younger. And, you know, if I wish if I had, I wish I had someone who was listening. And yet I had, I did have gifts in my life. I had friends and different people who told me the truth about myself. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that's good. And that's part of, and part of it is I wasn't listening. I was too caught up in my own stuff, and they they made me look at things in ways that um, you know I needed to pay attention to, and needed needed someone to be honest with me for. And but yet, I slip, and I do get tend to be a little too judgmental because I'm not listening. Wow. Thank you for sharing, Laura. I uh, I find that to be so powerful because I feel like when people hear this, right, they can't help but feel inspired by you and feel moved by you and your journey and all the things that you've done in the way that you speak, you know, it's just like, and to hear that you still 
are like oh, the one thing that I'm still working through is listening because you know we sometimes feel like maybe it's something bigger maybe it's this big thing that she's working on but truthfully like just being present for one another you know what I'm saying and taking the time to really listen even though we feel like we've lived an entire life like you never stop growing you never stop learning you never need to not be listening and it's so powerful to hear that because that's a great reminder um, and we're all working on something consistently I really wanted to put that in the show because I think it's important to remember that we're all a work in progress, right? And although we're uh, bigging up ourselves and talking about the things that matter, it's like, it's okay. We're not perfect, right? We're doing all this great stuff and still not perfect. And we never will be. Oh, and that's the beauty. And we never, and then just accept it. Embrace your flaws. Yes. Work on them, but embrace them. I mean, that's what makes you, you know, unique. And, um, you know, and I think that, you know, it's interesting because I had lots of physical, you know, things that I've had to deal with and stuff like that. But like even when I, when I, you know, when my, I remember I had um, the, my nerve thing in my eye. Yes. Neural palsy. And so, I mean, I, I, I couldn't, I, everything was double vision or triple vision. So what did I do? I made little, uh, if I closed one eye, then I could see singularly because it tricks your eye. But yes. then I made these different patches. That I, I remember that you put them on your glasses. And yes. I made art. And then, you know, that's, so it, it was something I looked forward to every day to match my outfit. You know, whatever. <laughs> that's right. Know. What patch you were going to put on your glasses to match your outfit. Right. Laura, you're such a fashionista. And you wouldn't even say that till that time probably, but it really did become a big part of you. And obviously you added art <laughs> to your situation. And that's how, you know, you survive these things. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, um, I, mean, I think sometimes it's listening, but some, sometimes people listen too much to other people and they don't listen to their own voice. And that's also something that people have to really work on and trust, their, trust your own voice and not let the other ones kind of uh, pollute. Well, there's a lot of voices now, right? So it's yeah. important to make time for yourself. So as we're coming towards the end of our interview, Laura, I just wanted to ask you just... I was asking you, right, what is next, but what do you want to leave for the next generation? I really, I am so grateful to have had you my whole life, and I'm really digging for all the tools and things that I could give to others, right, and like, how can we continue, A, our relationships so we continue to give to each other for the rest of our lives, and also, what can we give to other young people so that they can continue or start their journeys, or if they're feeling stuck on their journey? Well, our relationship is eternal. Eternal, you heard it, people. Eternal. It's beyond this <laughs> lifetime. So just so you know that. Um, Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I just, I think, I want to. It's a hard question, actually. Um, I mean, I, I, because it's really, it's not what I leave. I think it's, it's what, it, it's what, what, it, it's what people do with what they've gotten. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. you know. I think I think when pe if people just are able to create their own whatever it happens to be, their own way to walk in balance with their own individual um, needs and wants and what they feel they could contribute to the world. You know, I just be able to walk in balance with that and know that, you, you know, sometimes you need to spend more time with your family and do more personal stuff. And other times you need just, you kind of have to sacrifice that and, and, and be in the struggle and be in the, or in the making of the art or whatever it happens to be. 
and that that's an eternal thing but you just and at least if you strive for that balance and you know that that's two two or more parts of you you know that you that you honor that and you honor that in other people too that you're that you're in your family and who you're working with then then you could get things done and you can make a difference So we are finally arrived to the finale of our first episode. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed my interview with Laura Nuchavarao. Please feel free to find her on social media. I bet she's really good on Facebook and Instagram. Um, And if you're looking to hire someone, she is definitely still working, although retired. She does a lot of curriculum, academic case management, and a lot of media literacy work. So if you're looking for someone to be on your board or to pick her brain to help you out if you're doing anything with the arts with young people, I highly recommend Laura. Anyway, so I have this segment that I came up with called Let Me Put You On. In this segment of Let Me Put You On, I want to talk about our fears. This first episode, while it was about showing myself as a human and what I think humanity is and being an artist and all these things me actually shooting this first episode was me conquering my fears and i want you to know that fears are not real they're fake danger super real hella real if you will mad valid if you will if you will but fears are not especially fears of things that are you're making up in your head so in this segment of let me put you on i'm gonna let you know that fear is not real get over it And the only way to do it is to do it one thing at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time, tackle one thing. To do this podcast, the first thing I did was that I emailed Brisa. Afraid, unsure, having all these ideas in my notes, in my note section, in my notebook, in my phone, just like everywhere having all these ideas that I had, but needing support and really wanting another person to like, A, hold me accountable and B, help me put this together so that I don't feel like I'm working by myself. Um, that was the first thing I did to tackle my fear was that I reach out to Brisa. And here we are actually recording, actually doing is getting this out to you. So I want you to know that you too can do this. Tackle your fears head on. They are not real. And you know, something like a podcast does seem daunting and like a lot of work, but everything is like that unless you start. And once you start, You see, it's not as scary. It's not as bad. You can do it. Break it down into little steps. Putting you on. Take it down in little steps. You got this. Remember that. And this has been (laughs) Let Me Put You On. Hopefully, we'll see you next week. You can follow me on IG at Reina Erika with a K in the Erika. Reina is R-E-Y. N-A, Erika with a K, E-R-I-K-A. We'll also have all these deets in the bio so you can follow us everywhere. I hope you have a great week. Hopefully we'll see you next week. Please, as they say on these things, like, subscribe, follow, write us something on, what is it, iTunes or whatever. Give us a review, five stars, please come back. All the things that people say. We just want to grow our following, get people, get put on, have iTunes, give us some love, or is it? Is it iTunes? Hmm. Let me get my lingo together. On the iPodcasting, subscribe. I don't know if you're listening on Spotify or whatever, Apple. Just hook it up. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And that's that on that. Have a great one. Love y'all. At first breath, born on my bohemian mother's birthday, 
on a freezing Bronx December day, just us two. She did not know he was detained by the FBI, just thought he didn't care. My father, a Teamster union organizer, commanded every room. My mother, an aspiring writer, tried to be down with the cause. Each day, walked up five flights, first just with me, and soon after my baby brother. Brief memories on park benches, the four of us singing labor songs, but mostly there was screaming until there was silence. Without my father, we were wrapped in blankets, boarded a bus. On the way upstate, I saw the branches run in the opposite direction. It was then when I began to understand the invisible and blue of small things. At 11, blonde hair sleeping on a pink pillow on a molded mattress on a splintered wood floor in a, small, a room smaller than a closet, painted in mint green and plastered with posters of John Paul, George, and Ringo and Motown's, Motown's Temptations, covered by a blanket crocheted in earth tones to keep me warm and safe while I slept with visions of sweet sugar-plumbed innocence soon to sour when the man who wed my mother entered my room, threw off my will, my will and protection, took off his robe, and covered my mouth. It was then that I began to understand the invisible and blue of small things. At 14, blonde hair swinging to the rhythm of my hips, hips had already understood their allure. Hips that wore a knitted belt of earth cones to hold up the blue jean embroidered hem bell bottoms, the uniform of a flower child still determined not to wilt. Walking home from band practice, whistling Bob Dylan's The Answer is Blowing in the Wind, when from behind, I was jumped by a man I could not see. My belt was cut, my blouse ripped, and he unzipped, took off his pants and covered my mouth. It was then that I began to understand the invisible and blue of small things. At 15, cutting half moons into multicolored banners of haikus, marching against man's inhumanities of small and not so small things. In each slogan chanted, in each fist raised, I became less invisible, less blue. Only because I could paint a sky red and sing songs in my head. I could dance with the rain and write rhymes with my pain. Still swing posters to the night and crank out my meals for the fight. Art blessed me to be able to see what wasn't there and to see past what was. To discover my power to not just survive, but to create, transform, critique, and let go. It was then that I began to understand how to balance living in a world both abstract and concrete. My mouth has been uncovered ever since. So we are finally arrived to the finale of our first episode. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed my interview with Laura Nuchavarao. Please feel free to find her on social media. I bet she's really good on Facebook and Instagram. Um, And if you're looking to hire someone, she is definitely still working, although retired. She does a lot of curriculum, academic case management, and a lot of media literacy work. So if you're looking for someone to be on your board or to pick her brain to help you out if you're doing anything with the arts with young people, I highly recommend Laura. Anyway, so I have this segment that I came up with called Let Me Put You On. So in this segment of Let Me Put You On, I want to talk about our fears. This first episode, while it was about showing myself as a human and what I think humanity is and being an artist and all these things, me actually shooting this first episode was me conquering my fears. And I want you to know that fears are not real. They're fake. Danger, super real, hella real if you will, mad valid if you will, if you will, but fears are not. Especially fears of things that are you're making up in your head. So in this segment of Let Me Put You On, I'm gonna let you know that fear's not real, get over it, and the only way to do it is to do it. 
one thing at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time. Tackle one thing. To do this podcast, the first thing I did was that I emailed Brisa. Afraid, unsure, having all these ideas in my notes, in my notes section, in my notebook, in my phone, just like everywhere having all these ideas that I had, but needing support and really wanting another person to like A, hold me accountable and B, help me put this together so that I don't feel like I'm working by myself. That was the first thing I did to tackle my fear was that I reach out to Brisa. And here we are actually recording, actually doing is getting this out to you. So I want you to know that you too can do this. Tackle your fears head on. They are not real. And you know, something like a podcast does seem daunting and like a lot of work, but everything is like that unless you start. And once you start, you see it's not as scary. It's not as bad. You can do it. Break it down into little steps. Putting you on. Take it down in little steps. You got this. Remember that. And this has been <laughs> Let Me Put You On. Hopefully, we'll see you next week. You can follow me on IG at Reina Erika with a K in the Erika. Reina is R E Y N A, Erika with a K E R I K A. We'll also have all these deets in the bio so you can follow us everywhere. I hope you have a great week. Hopefully, we'll see you next week. Please, as they say on these things, like, subscribe, follow. Just hook it up. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And that's that on that. Have a great one. Love y'all.